Welcome to another great episode of Murray Musings, where we chat about Andy Murray and what's happening on the tour. We have a great guest for you today, Courtney Nguyen, the WTA Insider. My name is Peter, and we've got our co-hosts, Scott and Claire. How are y'all doing today? Hi, I'm doing really well, thank you. Yeah, I'm doing good. okay as well. Yeah, feeling good, feeling How's good. Thanks, Peter. Pretty good over here in Texas. Uh, it's a little bit hotter um, than where y'all are at, but that's okay. No, um, I don't believe that for a second. It's hotter <laughs> than the sun here. It is. Like, it's a whole 19 degrees over here, yeah. like, which is nothing for you guys, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it only feels like 100 degrees here, so that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, uh, we've got our uh, guest, Courtney. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for, for having me and putting up with my many attempts to, to dodge this very moment. Uh, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that you stuck with it, and I'm, I'm perfectly excited to talk all things Andy and tennis on, uh, on also a very hot Sunday in California. So. Is, is it as hot as here, though? That's true, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that will, that, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to know. <laughs> the, the, the balmy climate of Scotland. I, I, would trade, I would trade everything in the world to be enjoying the balmy, the balmy confines of Scotland at the moment. I've only been to Edinburgh once. Um, I was there for about 10 days. Absolutely loved it. Uh, and yeah, yeah, like I, well, I was in Edinburgh and Dunblane as part okay. of the whole, I'm Obviously. sure we'll end up talking about that. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, loved it. Can't wait to, to get back as soon as all of this hell is over and normalcy returns to the world. Yeah. Yes. 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 And Peter, you're going to come too, aren't you? Oh yes. Yeah, Peter, you Definitely. need to come. Yeah, absolutely. You need to come on over as well. And go to Cromlicks, but we'll talk about that. We in will a talk second. about all that. <laughs> um, but to introduce you a little bit more, Courtney, um, I've followed your career since you blogged on your type pad um, to Sports Illustrated to where you are um, today. And I admit I refreshed your page daily to see if you'd blog about Andy Murray or any of a number <laughs> of irreverent stories you'd come up with. So with that said, um, can you talk about your story of how you got into tennis and what you do at the WT? now sure absolutely and and pete uh, lovely to to actually chat voice to voice with you because we normally <laughs> are doing it on twitch these days uh which is kind of one way traffic but um but yeah no so my my origin story as it were um i was uh, a lawyer for about 10 years um in san francisco uh had gone to university and, and law school in california i'm a california kid uh through and through and a public school kid through and through um and um and yeah I just, the hours were really weird with the job that I was working. And so I was working a lot of late nights in the office by myself, nobody in there but me and the cleaners. Um, and the funny thing about tennis is that there's always tennis on, on any day of the entire year, and probably in every time zone. Like any time that you'd actually want to watch a tennis match, especially Monday through Thursday, you can probably find one, right? Like even if yeah. it's like a challenger level or ITF or something. So that's how it kind of started. It just, I needed something to be on in the background while I was working. And tennis is a very aesthetically pleasing sport to listen to. So even if I was sitting and reviewing documents, there was something really nice about having it on in the background, um, yeah. even while I was writing or reading. So I had kind of stumbled upon it just on that um, initially. And over time, you know, um, fell in love with it even more and became more almost addicted to it. But this was a time before I was on Twitter and before tennis Twitter existed or tennis <laughs> blogs were really flourishing. And I didn't have any friends 
in my life to talk about my really stupid opinions, completely uninformed <laughs> fan opinions, right? About the sport of just like, I don't like that guy. I don't like his face, um, you know, or I like that person and you know, whatever. And just creating these myths and these stories and soap operas in my head. Uh -huh. um, so I started a blog just because literally one day, one of my really good friends was so sick of me having these very one-sided conversations with her about tennis. She didn't care. And she's like, I just don't care. I don't know why you think I care about any of this. And I was like, but I just have to get it out. So one night, as is most of my both good and bad decisions, drunkenly, I, I hopped onto TypePad. I Googled how to, you know, start a blog uh, and started one just to really get my thoughts out there so I could move on. It had no uh, goals to be a thing or to build a community. It was just like, I need to put my ideas somewhere like, mm -hmm. and so that I can stop thinking about them because that's how my mind works. So I started there and, um, you know, slowly over time, a community kind of built up the way that I approached the sport was very irreverent and very comedic. The, the joke mm -hmm. was king to me, um, still is um, a little bit uh, <laughs> on Twitter and things like that. But I just wanted to make people laugh and um, make my friends laugh more than anything. So, yeah, so that's kind of where that all started. And, and slowly over time, I just lucked out, honestly, the timing of being, you know, one of the first tennis bloggers of um, of eventually quitting my job to not necessarily pursue this but to maybe go to law, go do something else. But I just had the time and the resources to pursue it. And it just kind of worked out. 2011, I, I started traveling uh, with the tour, just ch like chasing the tour. Uh, you know, if I had credentials that week, great. If I didn't, I was buying tickets like anybody else. Uh, I just wanted to build a portfolio of writing because I was I thought I might go to um, get a master's in creative writing, but I didn't have any oh, okay. anything to like, you can't submit legal briefs <laughs> as part yeah. of your portfolio. <laughs> it's not really what they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, let's go and live an interesting life, travel, live on the road, yeah. live in hostels, you know, stuff like that to just have life experiences to write about. Um, mm -hmm. So that was the goal. And then by midsummer, Sports Illustrated contacted me to um, run their tennis blog. I jumped on that um, because it seemed cool and just Sports Illustrated is just revered in my head of, of a home of, of so many of my favorite sports writers over time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, about three years later, WTA reached out, said, hey, we're thinking about starting this new position. Um, you get along with the players really well. We appreciate your passion for the women's game. Um, and, you know, could we figure out something to make it work? And, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So effectively, I'm an embedded, um, not journalist, because I'm always very careful about saying if I'm a journalist or not, because I'm not, I work for the tour. I mean, I, you know, I'm not an independent uh, fact finder and I don't yeah. want people to necessarily think that I am. Um, but I'm an embedded, uh, you know, writer with them and my goal in the, in the position and what was really nice with working with the WTA is that we together formed this position. So it wasn't yeah. like they said, here's the job. Do you want it? But hey, let's let's figure out how to create a job that you want mm -hmm. um, and that also satisfies our needs as the tour, which is storytelling, which is covering our players that don't necessarily always get coverage um, mm -hmm. because of the realities of, of media um, generally yeah. as, as newsrooms are shrinking, but also just 
you know, joint events, the press conferences are fuller for the guys than they are mm -hmm. for the girls. Um, yeah. We believe that, you know, there are great storylines like we just saw over two yeah. weeks <laughs> in Paris with Krachikova of players who nobody's paying attention to, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't be paid attention to. Yeah. So how about we, the tour, kind of like subsidize that effectively yeah. and pay for that coverage to happen? So, so yeah, so that's what I've been doing. I love it. Um, it's been a great place to work. They respect the work that I do. I respect the work that they do. Um, and that's that has taken me to here, uh, which is which is a pretty wild and just absolutely random ride. Like if this could have happened for anyone. It just happened yeah. for me. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm very appreciative of it. That's it's like the crazy. dream job for a tennis yes. fan. Well, yeah, like it really is. It, it truly is. like Complete that's just dream. that's just what I was thinking. Like we're gonna have like so many like. Like, not that we get tons and tons of listeners, but like, like we 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 will we are gonna have a few people no doubt listening to this and being like, wow, like Courtney literally lives the dream, like of being I mean, able that's, to you that's, know, that's, like, it's literally what I'm thinking. Absolutely, telling, telling sure. the story. I'm like, you're just you're. That's, I would love to do that literally. so much. That would be I, insanely cool. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't say that any of that is wrong. I mean, it is. It it, yeah. it you know, as somebody who loves you know women's sport who mm -hmm. loves the wta who has always even when i was with sports illustrated and when i was writing with 40 deuce like uh, on my blog um has always felt like a, i've always been more of a champion of the tour mm -hmm. i think okay. than i have it's been a, a journalist i mean even when i was yeah. with si like i i was not in the business of of crapping on the tour and or crapping mm -hmm. on or as venus would say being down on women's tennis that was just never mm -hmm. my instinct um I find what they do from one through 100 to be absolutely remarkable. So it's very easy to, to, to do it. And, and I lucked out and I get paid to travel the world and do it. Um, so, you know, it, it's still a job. And so yeah. there are times where it just it, it you do. It, it's a job like jobs are not always fun. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there's little things. But as far as jobs go, it's 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 a dream job for sure. For sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're ever looking for a very experienced <laughs> intern, Courtney, just, always, you know, always, short list. Uh, <laughs> Do you have something uh, in your eye? Are you? Are you? Are you, are you <laughs> like, it's a bit of dust. It's a bit of dust. <laughs> um, like we, we, so like you, to, to be honest, a lot, a lot of the times when we have guests on, we do kind of like leave this question for like last. But we've got a lot to get through, and we're we're going through a lot. Happy and we're talking, it. and we're talking about like we're talking about your kind of like history in the game, anyway. So like for anybody like listening who does think I would love to do what Courtney's doing, like how do I do that? Like how 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 could I possibly manage that? What do you recommend? Like, because we've we've had a we've been lucky enough to have uh, a few kind of like people who work in tennis media on Murray Musings before, and all of them have said I've given like an array of advice, but it honestly comes down to you know, it's actually very very hard like to 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 do what we do, and we always appreciate like being told the hard truths about about the work that you guys do, um. But yeah, like what what kind of what kind of advice would you would you give would you give somebody looking yeah. to it, it's a great question and it, it's always the question that everybody yeah. that everybody feels and you know for me i think first and foremost i i do have to acknowledge that i was in a very privileged position to start with um okay. you know i was i had been a, a, a big firm lawyer for 10 years mm. i had quit and i had the resources to pick up and travel the world and yeah. pay for flights and you know do all of these sorts of things so i don't want people to think oh that sounds super easy. No, there's a financial mm -hmm. investment that went into it. And, you know, when I, you know, my friendship with Ben Rothenberg, a lot of that comes from both of us um, being able to travel the world, but also finding two people who could 
be like, hey, let's split hotel costs. You know, let's mm -hmm. let's, yeah. you know, things like that, where it, you know, what we kind of used to have to do or when I look back at that, especially 2011 year of, mm -hmm. of putting myself into a position to succeed was, yeah, being having the time and the resources, which I just know a lot of people don't have, you know, yeah. not many people have the the freedom to pick up and travel the world for six months yeah. when no one's paying them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. so that that's a pretty harsh truth <laughs> that I have to kind of always kind of pop people's bubbles with a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so there was that, um, you know, it's kind of the whole debate about internships and like only, you yeah. know, like in newsrooms, like only only rich kids, kids can do can work for The New York Times for a summer rent free or, or you yeah. know like they live with their parents you know things like that and yeah. not be paid anything so that's reality of it but you know separate and aside from that one of the biggest things for me because i want so badly to see like a younger crop and a newer crop of voices in the tennis media i think that 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 alone would solve or address a lot of the problems that people point out in terms mm. of this, you know, same opinions, staleness, you know, the media room looks the same. And Ben and I talk about it all the time of kind of looking at in the decade that we've been in the room, that it shouldn't be that effectively Tamini Carriol at The Guardian, who has also been doing this for a decade, is the youngest one in the room. Like he's the, you know, like we're like, where's everybody else? Because like Tamini's great, but we need 15 Tamini's like, you know, for the future of the sport. So yeah. for me, the biggest thing is to find a way to set yourself apart and yeah. have your own voice, um, to take risks in your writing, um, in your opinions, you know, be well-reasoned and be professional. I think that the problem sometimes that I see is that a lot of people who want to do this job, um, they, their writing or the way that they go about it is they try to sound like what they think people are supposed to sound like doing the job. So people will send me work and they're like, here's a match report, for example, that I wrote. I'm like, why are you writing a match report? Yeah. Like that, that's, yeah. you know, yeah. that's stuff that any organization is going to get from the wires. That's, that's the most mm -hmm. bare, and it is important work to do. But if you want to, to set yourself apart, do something different. You know, go talk to, you know, go to cover a qualifying event or an ITF event and just find your try and find a way to get a feature and just take it into a different direction and people i think that's what um at least in talking to my colleagues at the wta who ended up hiring me that was one of the biggest things was they were just like you brought a different voice and a different um uh point of view to where especially nowadays with social media and everything um unfortunately i don't think it's necessarily a good thing but this is just the reality of, of the median right now, like who you are matters. It, it should it should matter what, you know, like Hannah Wilkes is, I think, a great example. She's one of my favorite writers in tennis, you know, and, and um, she's, you know, has had different jobs on and off within the tennis kind of uh, media landscape. But whenever Hannah writes something, I want to read it because it's Hannah. It doesn't really matter to me what the topic is or you know, like, I'm like, oh, Hannah wrote it. I want to read it. Right. Mm -hmm. Louisa Thomas, Brian Phillips, yep. like these are the, you know, Reem, when she writes something, I read it because chances are she did some reporting in there that I'm I'm going to learn something new, you know, to yeah. things like that. So, so that's the goal is to not disappear into the, oh, I wrote something really um, 
great, but there's nothing really actually interesting in it because everybody's writing something. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's yeah. the, that's the thing, which is why, like, I really love the idea for this podcast, because it's taking it's <laughs> not just another group of friends like on a mic, which is yeah. ju just what po all podcasts are. It's we mm -hmm. have we have kind of um, we have a take. We have a slant. We have a theme, you yeah. know, and that will make you stand out from, yeah. you know, a, a lot of other ones. So that's kind of what I would what I would recommend to people is, is try and stand out. You know, that's being fair. invisible is just not going to. Doing the same thing that everybody else is doing is just not gonna do it these days. It's it's, fu it's funny that you say that about about Murray meetings because like I was literally just gonna make a joke about like when when you say like try and find your own slant, you mean like you know an Andy Murray podcast <laughs> or like is but that that's the thing. Deal? That's the thing, right? I mean, even if we were, I mean, people may not know the Forty Deuce era of me, which is probably for the best, honestly, with respect to my reputation. But but uh, but those who were like the Pete's and, and, and the OGs that did, it was completely different. I mean, it was randomly yeah. taking like the Murray thing really kind of started as a joke. Like my love for Andy Murray was like um, it almost was just a shtick that turned into uh -huh. a very earnest thing. But in, uh -huh. initially it was, I looked at the landscape. I was like, hold on, everybody's a Federer fan and everybody loves Rafa, that's boring. So what, uh -huh. I'm gonna be another like Rafa blogger? Like, you know? So initially, like when I first started writing on 40 Deuce, it was like, I was, re I was really into Novak. Like I was very much a champion of him. But what I loved about Andy was, this was again, you know, a decade or even more like 12 years ago before there had been a whole media 180 on him. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And it was still, he was a miserable git. Right. Like yeah. it, it was that yeah. it was like, why does this guy why does this guy look so miserable? And it was all of that. And that is just going to make me be more intrigued by somebody. I'm so fascinated by people that seem misunderstood. Yeah. Those yeah. are the people yeah. that those are the, the players that draw me in for better mm -hmm. or worse, you know, yeah. because and I and I'm going to and I, I there's still kind of a counterculture quality about me. And it was like, I don't like the popular things. So it became OK. Forty Deuce is a blog where there's this girl who freaking loves the crap out of Andy Murray and thinks mm. Roger is a POS. Like, that was my <laughs> shit. Because, wait, wait, Courtney, have you made my blow? <laughs> did, did, you, did you pick up the baton? Yeah, somebody did. Somebody did. It's so important. But that was my shtick because, because why be another fan blogger that says Roger Federer is super amazing? Even if yeah. I think that, that's not interesting. Yeah. It's not interesting yeah, to yeah. read. It's not fun. It's not comes from a creative place. But it was like, so let's transform this whole Murray thing and make it my shtick. Like the other players that I really loved, like Sam Stozer. Yeah. A yes. lot of that was a shtick. You made me love Sammy. But yeah. the thing about that is like, I kind of liked Sam. But part of it was just like, I thought it would be funny from a comedic uh -huh. standpoint of let's just super randomly stand the hell out of a player who wants nothing to do with the media. Yeah. Who would rather, you know, and just create this myth myth around her? I'm just yeah. like she's the best, and like people be like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like this random Aussie player. I'm like, I'm just doing it, and I'm gonna commit to the bit. You know, again, yeah. like to me, the joke was king. So over time, though, I the shtick became true. Like if you know, because I believe, because I ended up, I, I end up really being drawn towards people that are nice people. And you can't find nicer people than, than both Andy and, and, and Sam. So, but yep. that was the thing is like, why be another Roger Federer fan site at the time? 
you know, and that's that's kind of the my idea of like of be different. Yeah. Do something different. Go after the sacred cows. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like we should have asked Roger to come on and join us for this chat so that he could, he could persuade you, Courtney, as to why you should have done another Roger Baker on site. Roger actually listened to us as well, in fact. To be fair to anybody who, again, was like an, a, a 40 Deuce OG, you know that, like, generally speaking, my, my kind of take on Roger has changed over time. Like, okay. he's definitely somebody who I was so, like, whatever. Like, genuinely. Yeah. Like, I was like, don't like it. Like, good for you, not yeah. for me. Like, I think my running joke with respect to the, the Murray-Federer dichotomy for myself was, like, I like tennis to look difficult. Yeah. I want it to seem like it's because tennis is super hard. It is. Like yeah, what they're yeah. trying to do. So I'm going to really like the guy who makes it look so impossible. Yeah. <laughs> like when winning is the hardest thing in the world. If you watch it, if you if you're an Andy Murray fan, like and I always say this about Andy Murray fans, like, you know, every fandom has their own shtick. And yeah. Murray fans are like the are the best fandom because yeah. there's yeah. Kind yeah. Of like, yeah. Yeah. we're so happy when he wins. Like, yeah. good for you, because we're so expecting him not to. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you definitely earnestly. ride that roller coaster, yeah. yeah. Extra yeah. true right now. Extra true right now. Extra true right now. <laughs> yeah. Just happy to see a photo of him at this point. Literally. Like, oh, yes. You're alive. Yeah. Seriously. Fantastic. <laughs> we're like, like, winning the day. He's tweeting. He's tweeting. He's in a good mood. You know, exactly. Uh-huh. Like, you know, and whereas, like, with Murfetter, he makes it look so flippin' easy. Yeah. Everything's mm-hmm. so he graceful. He's beaten yeah. people that Andy struggles against, like two and one. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> that's not fun. No, like, no. <laughs> it's not pleasant for me. So you know, it's uh, but I've come, I've come, I've come full circle on on Raj because no. you know being in the sport more, and like I've never spoken to the guy outside of press conferences like six years ago. Um, but <laughs> yes, yeah. Ooh, I gotta hear that. What I find, what I find so funny, Courtney, is like the way you're talking about it. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm like. Yeah. Because okay. I was always like, no, do you know what? I don't like him. There's too much hype around him. Okay, yeah, he's he's an incredible tennis player, but you know, uh, he's boring. As he's if a I'm a fan loser. of a tennis player because they're good at it. And defeat, and I'm just like, do you know what? Give me Andy any day. And then I met him and I was like, oh my God, wow, you're actually so nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. absurd. I mean, it, it's it's absurd. how, And it's all like really, really genuine, I have to say. You know, like I, I really lucked out because I remember, because I wrote a lot of baloney on my website. I just made up myths about players. I was convinced of who was evil and who was good. And that was part of the shtick of the blog was creating effectively a Hogwarts of of tennis uh-huh. and be like she sucks yeah. like he's amazing he's secret evil and just creating a soap opera they were just like little uh-huh. dolls in my diorama that every That's day I tuned in you know it's super fun because like let's be irreverent you know like yeah. this is not this isn't church guys like yeah. these yeah. guys are not superheroes they're just yeah. professional athletes like it's mm-hmm. fine we can laugh yeah and being a Murray fan allowed I think Murray fans have a great sense of humor because yes. you have to because. If you don't, how'd you how how'd you handle it? <laughs> we cry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we cry in the corner. We grind it, yeah. Uh, but so so yeah, like it's but but with with Roger, like um oh so getting back to that, once I kind of began, this was actually even before, long before I was even with uh, WTA. I remember being in transport with a few WTA um, uh, people who I'd never met before, and I was just sitting in the back really quietly. Like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. like all the nonsense that I write. I really hope nobody knows that I'm that person. And one of them turned around and they're like, you're the one that writes 40 Deuce, right? 
And I was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and, and, and he was kind of quiet. And he was kind of nodding his head. And he's like, you know, I can't get into specifics. But the way that you write about the players, you're pretty much right. Oh. And I was like, oh. I was like, really? And so I have to say that, like, as I've now been in the room and grown closer, not with the players, I'm not friends with anybody, honestly. People think that, but I'm not. Um, I'm very professionally distant from them so that I can kind of try to maintain as much independence as I can mm. when I interview them and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, like, I haven't changed my mind about too many players other than Roger. And even then, that's not really because it was a shtick. The hate thing is was yeah. a shtick. I knew he was a nice guy. Like, you know, but now Me being too. in it. I respect the hell out of him. He's exactly stand up guy. Stand-up um, dude. Going on about um, how you were really a fan and then became a reporter for us to, you know, go into the business. Like, how did you manage like feeling about, hey, you know, I'm a fan and other people looking at you like, oh, you know, you've gotten this blog. Um, and do you think that other people like see our tweets and whatnot and go like, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't be credentialed, et cetera. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, well, you know, yeah. we get into this business. For sure. I mean, definitely that's an issue. I mean, you know, back when... I was first starting to get credentialed and I would be in the bigger press rooms like at, at WTA 1000s uh, before I was kind of in slams. There was very much this blogger versus journalist uh, discussion, you know, starting up. And I definitely was at the center of a lot of it. I was, I, you know, I think that, you know, for me, I was one of the first bloggers that a lot of, um, I, I know for a fact in a bunch of the press rooms, I was the first blogger. That, that some of those media managers credentialed. Um, and for myself, like, I, I took it very seriously. I mean, and that's the other thing as well. I wasn't young when I started doing this. I had been a corporate lawyer <laughs> for 10 yeah. years. Um, I'd gone to law school. I've, I, was, I was a person that wore suits to work. Um, you know, I've been in court. I've done all these sorts of things. I'm as unprofessional as I sounded on the blog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was a professional human being in uh -huh. the workplace yeah. like you know and and so for me it was very easy personally to make that transition of like knowing what was appropriate what was inappropriate and also dealing with the pressure of not wanting to screw it up for everybody else you know yeah. if if i had gone in there as like the first or one of the first bloggers to or fan people to to be in that room and be sitting next to new york times reporters times of london reporters you know and completely mess it up, it would have had a, a significant impact. I'm very, very confident of that. I think that that would have basically shut down for the tours and for the Federation's credentialing of, of fan sites of, yeah. you know, kind of what we consider tennis Twitter today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I took that responsibility pretty seriously. Um, but it's it was always a tension. It continues to be a tension, to be mm -hmm. frank. It's always going to be because... You know, and, and I'm somebody who has gone from from being that independent fan site blogger to working for Sports Illustrated, you know, to working for the WTA, more traditional media outlets. And, I, you know, those journalists are my friends. And I understand this tension of them being feeling threatened by fan sites, um, them seeing that, you know, especially this was a decade ago, we were we were faster we knew how to use Twitter. They didn't. We knew how to take a screen grab. They didn't. You know, like, you know, little things like that. And there was this panic 
of mm. these kids are coming for our jobs and yeah. our cushy situation is being eroded. So that's natural. And I get that. But ironically, I was also a, an antitrust lawyer. So I believe in competition. I believe that out of competition, you get the best product. And so I also at the same time couldn't really feel sorry for them. Like I felt bad for them on a personal basis because you don't want to be putting people out of jobs and you don't want to see people freaking out about genuine life concerns. But at the same time, like be better. Like if you were better, I wouldn't have this job. I wouldn't be getting hired. You know, there wouldn't there wouldn't be this perceived um, need to fill a hole or a gap in coverage. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Clearly, there's been a gap in the market that you've seen that you can fill with what you're saying. And people who are reading what you're saying agree with that. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, and, and so if those journalists were saying what you already, what you were saying, they would go, oh, well, that's just, that is just a fan blog. But actually, you no, know, this person's got a different voice and we are interested in this voice. So... In and a way, it would perhaps push them to work a little bit harder, maybe try and find a different perspective on things. That's precisely what I think um, over time has happened a little bit. I mean, I think that, you know, once established media get over their defensiveness, and you can use the, you know, quote unquote, tennis Twitter or the fan sites or fan bloggers or that mentality to your benefit because the media landscape has changed and now it is about it is a little bit more click driven not necessarily i mean i don't I, I don't like it but that's how it is if you have your finger on the pulse of tennis twitter but without being so committed to it because at the same time we have to recognize that tennis twitter is like a few thousand people <laughs> in the yeah. larger <laughs> scheme of things you know like so i think that sometimes we're a little bit too especially tennis twitter as well it can be a little bit too insular and think that we are the world and how yeah. we see the world is how they see tennis. And it's like, no, like, you know, nobody gives a crap about X, Y, Z. No one cares about the court scheduling of this player. Literally no <laughs> one cares, guys. Like, you know, um, only you, only you. But if you do have the, your finger on the pulse, it can help your job. Yeah. Fans yeah. are yeah. giving away free information, free leads. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I don't speak Ukrainian, but a Ukrainian fan is out there being like, oh, Ukrainian media reported X about Svitolina. Oh. I can go chase that down. Yeah, it, you can work together mm -hmm. to create mm -hmm. then a more effective, more efficient, more compelling media product. But if everybody's just going to be defensive and use their energy to elbow people out of the way, yeah. as opposed to use their energy to elevate their work product, that's that's where I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, yeah. don't tell me you don't have the time because I know you have the time because you're sending emails complaining about me. You're <laughs> you're trying to get me not credentialed. You're, I mean, I had to deal with all of that sort of stuff of a lot of behind the scenes kind of like journalist backstabbing and things like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, it can get, you know, and, and it's the same with photographers as well. Um, it's even actually worse in terms of the, the, the um, territorialism in the yep. in the photographer pit. But um, but yeah i i just always say like it, there's a room there's enough room here for everybody yeah. we just have to recognize and work together and over time especially with my job once with the wta at first i think people were quite um not insulted but a little bit kind of seeing this as a massive threat oh the wta is just going to give all the exclusives to their insider why would 
Naomi Osaka want to speak to the Telegraph if she can t speak to Courtney? I'm like, that's just not how the media works. Like that, you know, of course you'd rather. And that's not how I work. I, I want you guys to speak to them. I'm doing it because it's not happening. Not I like I literally don't scoop anybody. And the and so now journalists know that they'll like email me like, hey, what's what's the deal with this player? What do you think? What are some good storylines with them? And I'll be like, yeah, here are five good storylines. And they'll be like, OK, yeah, great. And then they write about them. I don't have to. My job is easier. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to write that feature. Right. Because it's being written somewhere else. So I just I wish that everybody could just like see past work their together. own insecurities. Yeah. And work together yeah. because it, it's a better product that way. And that's the new generation of writers. I mean, the younger writers, we work together. We're not out there trying to we're competing, you know, because because that is the nature of the job and we are competitors. But there's never a hesitation to go to somebody and be like, hey, what are you hearing about this? You know, and that person, well, I heard this, this, this and this, because at the end of the day, we just want the facts out. Right. So, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's fair. That's fair. Um, we, we, we've, we've already, we've already touched a little bit on it. In fact, you've already spoken a fair bit on him. Like since we're an Andy podcast, I guess we should chat a Gotta little bit. Gotta give people what they came for. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Gotta muse you know, about Murray. Absolutely. We've, uh, you know, like we've, <laughs> we've done a fair few podcasts in the past where we're only, where we get to like the last like 10 minutes of chatting with the guests. And we're, oh yeah, we should probably talk about Andy. We did. <laughs> so, Favorite uh, guy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there has been a fair bit of news about it, which about him, you know, which we will, we will cover. Uh, but yeah, like, um, but obviously, yeah, you're, you're, you're a fair, you're a fair fan of Andy. Um, do you want to like talk about your thoughts on generally his legacy, like, you know, his career generally? And uh, yeah, if we do usually ask this towards the end again of, of episodes, but you know what, let's just get out of the way. What, where do you think he goes from here and what, what he does from now on? If I know that's a lot of things, but like, do you have yeah. to give us your general thoughts, Cordy, on Andy? If, do if, do if you want me to muse about Andy Murray? Absolutely. Yes, That's what we're looking for. Very much so. All right. Absolutely. Here are my musings. Um, yeah, no, I uh, legacy to me and, and I don't know why this became a controversial thing to say, but like and I don't even think it's controversial. I just think that there's fan wars and people get hyper protective and things like that. But he's the people's champion, you know, in an era of the big three and who continue to do ungodly things. I mean, and I think and I hope that people I really, really, really hope that people don't take for granted what Novak, Rafa and Roger have done in their careers and what Novak will continue to do. I mean, I'm I've been convinced for like, you know, not that this is a hot take, but like for for a year or two, I'm like, he's going to be the goat by number. Like y'all don't might not want it. And you might come up with weird fake arguments as to why, you know, this number that like. It's so fun. I'm not going to go on that tangent, but I just think it's funny <laughs> that like everybody decided to reduce the whole goat conversation to a single number, thinking that it was going to help their guy. And then now that that number is not going to help their guy. Everybody's like, well, no, but there's also these like other 15 numbers that are very important. It's like, you're right. I mean, slams are not everything. And I hope that that applies to every yep. goat conversation, yeah. because I know on the women's side, it, it's a really it's a tough debate to me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that it's a slam dunk you know, Serena's goat. Mm -hmm. It's like, but I mean, you look up Chrissy's numbers, you look up Martina's numbers, you look up Steffi's numbers, they're crazy. They're, like, yeah. you know, so let's, yeah. Yeah. so, yeah. you know, so if you value what the three have done, like truly mm -hmm. believe that that is Everest, they just rebuilt the mountain. How can you not just like love Andy Murray? 
how can you not just love that this guy, like, you know, uh, you know, raised by a single mom in Scotland, riding in a van all over town, like with his brother and his mom, uh, learning how to play tennis by hitting a, a balloon in the living room, um, you know, going out there and like believing that he can he can be there, that he had every right to also compete with them um, and dealing with all of the criticism and the negativity and, and no one's really had to deal with it the way that Andy had under that spotlight. I mean, the other three guys were at least celebrated by their own national media. So that's all, yes. already got mm -hmm. a, a leg up on Andy on that end yeah. <laughs> uh, until the end. But, um, but yeah, but he, to me, he was the people's champion. You know, you had Roger and he was so balletic and you had Rafa and, you know, the bull, the, the, the fiery spirit and Novak, the machine, the absolute mechanical beast, you know, and here's Andy screaming, you know, that he's trying his tits off and, you know, <laughs> breaking his butt in his sleep uh, and having to pull out. Of, you know, like, it's just like the dumbest <laughs> crap would happen to Andy all the time. Yeah. And yeah. he just yeah. persevered. And, you know, and so it's it always it never ceases to amaze me how in my head his his Wimbledon win, the first one, I'm convinced that it was like 1816 in the fifth. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> because the emotion, like when people talk, I'm like, yeah. that was a five set match, right? And they're like, that was not a five set match. Yeah. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That final game, that final game yeah. failed. That, like five five match. Yeah. that yeah. final game was just, and I mean, but like the emotions, right? The fraughtness, because you just, you felt it. You felt how big this was. You felt how close he was. And you also knew how fucking far away he was. That at any moment, a feather could fall from the roof and he could implode, <laughs> yeah. you know? Oh. I mean, think yep. of, if you really think about all of the nonsense yeah. that has been part of his story. The gong, the gong of the US Open. The spider cam could the just drop cam. down. Uh, spider cam, just all of it. And yeah. and for him to to to, by sheer force of will, yeah, and work ethic, you yeah. know, uh, put together the career that he's had. It it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I can't believe it. You know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and yeah, so there will be that. And so I hope that that's his initial legacy, of kind of being the 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 everyday champ. You know, the guy who was just really good at tennis and just kept, you know, running up against. Yeah, he just kept trying. So, you know, I mean, really. Could could one argue on that basis that Andy is actually the goal <laughs> yes. for just sheer persistence? You know what? You know, as, and, and going up against against all odds. As as someone who was a litigator for 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 seven or eight years, you've convinced me. That's a really yes. good argument, honestly. <laughs> you know what? Like, let's just say, let's just be done with Game that. Game set match. Game set match. Give me the gavel. Done. <laughs> we're, we're, like just to clarify for anybody listening to us right now like we're literally recording this right after novak just won his 19th slam <laughs> but uh you know what that's fine like, it's fine that's okay. congrats it's right. massive and but because that's the thing is like if you're a murray fan you respect how difficult the task is you respect how hard it is to win a slam um how hard it is to beat those guys you know um yeah. so you know for him to do what he did to become a threat on clay as he was, which is still to me one of the most fascinating like stretches of his career when, you know, he was he was making finals and, and, and you know, at the Masters and 1000s during the clay season and obviously Roland Garros. I mean, that's uh, I loved that. And I loved just his. Oh, you said I can't do it. I will. I, I can. 
And maybe he didn't have the natural abilities because Novak has a little bit of that as well. That kind of like um, chip on the shoulder, like screw you. Like you can't tell me I don't belong. But I, I, I think that Novak has more natural gifts yeah. that allow him one of the things is just his physical resiliency which yeah. obviously is is massive um whereas andy kind of yeah like he broke his body trying yeah yep. yes yeah yeah and that you, you know? love him enough to name your dog murray <laughs> yes i do um but what i want to talk about is your interaction with him at cincy in 2019 uh when he uh <laughs> <laughs> went yes. and uh, shook your hand. Can you uh, retell that story for us? Uh, I think I can. It's still kind of foggy. Like, it was like, <laughs> it's, I kind of, not that I can't, I mean, because Andy knows who I am. Uh, we see each other around the tour, like, joint, and I'm sure that he's fully aware of the 40 Deuce nonsense uh, and stuff like that, because I have no doubt that, like, somebody would have, like, pulled him aside and been like, so, just so you know, there's, like, this crazy fan blogger who like loves you you know um but thankfully andy was always super professional and when i was with sports illustrated he was you know one thing i really loved about andy was that he i mean obviously everybody knows it now but this would have been before all of his kind of tentpole actions that he did to kind of build this kind of feminist legacy but even early on like he was the guy who i would notice it like if a woman asked a question in the press room he like really took on the question he really took time to answer it and like i would definitely see times where one of the like british reporters would ask a question and andy would kind of blow it off but then like a woman would ask effectively the same question be like oh that's a really interesting question like you know and he would like <laughs> answer it so he had this amazing ability whether it was intentional or not to to make you feel like you be you be you deserved your seat at the table yeah. Um, which, you know, means a lot because a lot of there are a lot of male players that don't do that, who yeah. who definitely the minute that it's a woman asking a question, they already are skeptical of the the that, you know, what you're talking about before you even open your mouth, you know. So, um, yeah, so so Andy was never like that, which was great. So in 2019 in Cincinnati, yeah, I was um, I was standing outside um, the press room or the interview room. And uh, I was finishing up an interview with somebody, I think maybe Sven uh, Gronefeld at the time, or Tom Hill, I can't remember. Um, and we were just sitting on the benches right outside the interview room. And obviously all, there was all the hoopla with Andy, you know, playing in Cincy and stuff like that. And he walked mm -hmm. out of his, his first round press conference or pre-tournament press conference. And he walked out and he turned and, and he saw Sven. Um, and obviously he knows Sven very well. So I think he, he kind of reached over and, and, and um, shook Sven's hand. And I just was, like the the Homer Simpson gif of just like eee! like <laughs> almost edge, like yeah. hiding <laughs> like hiding or hiding behind Sven like you know kind of like yeah. I'm not here nobody sees me um, because I still have this instinct I, he's still Andy in my head of like I mm -hmm. think you're so great um, but so then he started walking away and then just as he was about to turn around completely with his back to me he kind of I think saw me out of the corner of his eye and he kind of abruptly like stopped and like turned around and like walked back towards me and like put his hand out. And I still, I think was looking at him like, what, you, why, what, you, what is happening? <laughs> and he just like, he's like, Hey, and like shook my, shook my hand and stuff like that. He's like, Hey, how's it going? I was like, good. Good to see you. Welcome back. Welcome to Mason. Uh, good luck. <laughs> like it was so stupid. Like, I don't know why, like it's dumb because I don't get, um, I don't get like, uh, uh, like tongue tied 
around mm. like the tennis players at this point are just people to me yeah they're colleagues i don't i don't mm. get starstruck that's the word i was looking for really too much i think like steffi graf every time i see her like in juhai i freak out um yeah. so she might be the last person but otherwise i'm like hey like whatever but mm. that was one of the last mo like it had been a while since i reacted that way and it was just because i hadn't seen andy for so long and you know mm. and hadn't been around him and and um yeah, I think before that, the last one, the last time I had seen him was his 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 press conference in Australian Open, the fake retirement. Mm. Um, and I was just sitting in my my at my desk in the press room at the at in Melbourne, and everybody, literally, like all my friends were like, you know, it was like Andy Murray is on his way to the to interview room one, and they're like, you're coming, right? I'm like, no, and they're like, why? I was like, because I'm not an ATP reporter, like yeah. it's inappropriate. I was like, like I don't think it's professional for me who everybody knows I'm not in there writing about Andy. Yeah. Like I shouldn't be in the room. Like that, that I, yeah. I think that makes me look bad to be there, yeah. you know? But everybody's like, Courtney, everybody knows it's fine. Like just come, just sit there. You know, it might be, as, it's, it's the last press conference. It could be, you know? So, yeah. so I sat in the very back of the room and just kind of like literally again, Homer Simpson, just like, you know, kind of hiding. Um, but that would have been the last time I saw him. So like to see him again in, in Mason was was very cool. Um, and just yeah. that he, he was, he was, just gracious as always. <laughs> yeah. I always have these um like imaginary conversations in my head that you know the day comes that I get to meet Andy and <laughs> I'll be like super cool with him and we'll have like this really awesome conversation and we'll chat about life and then he'll like offer me a job as his director of comms at seventy seven <laughs> management and I'll be like, Yeah, sure, that sounds great. Good conversation. It is, isn't it? And I just know that in reality, it will be me being like, meh from me. I always think this, like, as, as a journalist, right, like, or as a writer um, who is in press conferences all the time, and obviously mm. I see, you know, the comments of, like, questions are crap, and fans would ask better questions, and da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, first of all, I'm not entirely sure that's, that's accurate, because I've seen mm -hmm. some of the questions that fans submit, and they're not, they're the same questions that we ask it'll be like people demanding like you know we want like a really good like interview with Petra Kvitova and then it'll be like okay what do you want me to ask her and it's like um like uh you know ask her about her Wimbledon win <laughs> like what though like you know like you know and but the thing is like we all have in our heads like how we're gonna be like when those conversations happen or when those moments happen mm -hmm. and then they happen mm -hmm. and you're an absolute blubbering imbecile like it just yeah it's just it's science this is how yeah. the body reacts you know yeah 100 <laughs> percent. you know you know if we ever had andy on murray musings which you know uh, <laughs> might happen one day we'll see we'll see andy we'll would totally trying. do it andy would totally if you could get you the request oh my gosh i think that if you could get the request to him outside of his management like if his yeah. mom like if judy was like andy like just go do it andy would do it like, you know, like, I think that a lot of the times, like, the difficulty of getting access to Andy has to do with the firewall the of his, yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, the request yeah. never makes it to him. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's not him saying no, it's that yeah. it was never presented as an option. Yeah. Um, but, but because this is the thing, like, um, I'll, I'll just tell this story because it's, it's, it's the Murray Musings podcast, but you guys were saying that you were talking about the Cromlicks before. Yeah. And so, um, so Ben and I, yeah, it's, it's still the lost episode of NCR. It's my fault. It's not Ben's fault. 
the Eurovision episode was the lost one that he finally solved. And the Murray one is the lost one that I still have no idea how I'm going to fix in order to get that <laughs> out. But uh, but we went to Dunblane one year uh, after Roland Garros um, to literally just go and walk around and yeah. um, get a sense of, you know, what it's like and, and things like that. So we got there. Lovely, lovely town. And yeah. Judy was like, hey, um, we reached out and we're like, hey, could we could we talk could we interview you? We're in we're in Dunblane, like, you know, and, and she's like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm actually in town in a couple of days. Um, so no problem. In the meantime, do you wanna talk to his his nan and uh whatever? And we we're like, excuse me? And she's like, Oh yeah, no, don't worry about it. She's like, Don't worry about it. They're home. Here's their address. Um oh and like God. and we were like we were like, Judy, we don't like should we wait for you? Like yeah. we we can't go knock on her door, like their door, like without an introduction. That seemed like I was telling Ben, I was like, this doesn't seem right. Maybe it's the Asian in me. I was like, this doesn't seem appropriate. Like we don't know <laughs> yes. her, you know? Um, but Judy was like, no, 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 just go. I'll just, I'll just let me know when you guys want to go. And then I'll just, I'll just give him a call and let, let her know that you're coming. Like, okay. <laughs> so, so I think Ben actually went cause I got sick during the trip and I just wasn't mm -hmm. feeling well and I didn't, I wasn't able to go to things. So he went and interviewed them and they were lovely. Mm -hmm. So then Judy then said, yeah, so like, let's meet up, let's meet up at the Cromlicks. And we're like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Cause we wanted to go see it anyway, you know? And I had actually looked and I was like, maybe we'll stay at the Cromlicks. And I looked up mm -hmm. and I was like, we're not staying yeah, at yeah. the Cromlicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had that conversation. Yeah, yeah we just like, had that. Uh... <laughs> like they have all these beautiful like souvenir bears and stuff like that with yeah. like the tartan plaid and everything. And I looked at like, while I was waiting in the lobby, I was like, that's like a lot of money for that bear, but I really want it, but it's a lot of money. Um, I yeah. didn't buy it. But um, so Judy's like, yeah, no problem. Um, let's meet at this time. Uh, and we were like, cool. Um, we'll, we'll grab a taxi. We'll call a taxi and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Cromlicks. And she's like, no, 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 I'll come pick you up. Where are you staying? <laughs> we're like, what? So we were staying at the Holiday Inn, which was a really nice Holiday Inn, it has to be said. I think it was a Holiday Inn. Um, and Judy comes tearing around in her BMW station wagon, like coming around and pulls up. She's like, hey guys, hop in. We're like, okay. There's all this um, uh, tennis gear all over the car because she had like, you know, like um, like little racket, like the kid rackets and kid tennis balls, because uh -huh. like she's been dri she was driving and doing those um, those kids clinics for the mm. the what um, what's her program? Miss hits, yeah. Miss hits. So she had yeah. been just coming back from a Miss hits clinic, so it was all you know whatever, and she was just chatting and driving us to the Cromlicks and we're like, uh, okay. And then we just sat in, in, in the bar area, um, and just chatted and she was so lovely. And then she drove us to, uh, the club where he first started playing and Aww. introduced us to, to, you know, the women that were there who obviously known Andy forever and, um, stuff like that. And it was great. And she was just telling all these great stories. And one of my favorite ones was that she said that, um, yeah, that it, the last, um, last uh winter during the, the christmas uh andy was staying uh you know at his grandparents house you know the family uh holiday get together i suppose and so he would go on these jogs by himself uh, around dunblane and he would as whenever he did he would like run past the club and just like if kids were hitting he would just like jump in Oh, and just hit with them you, be, you know yeah. um which was lovely and then and 
yeah like and then he got home i guess one time judy said uh and he got back and he didn't have any of his clothes i guess he didn't have his bag or something uh, but he wanted to take a shower so he jumped into the shower and like borrowed his grandpa's like old just whatever he could fit into and so he was like walking around and judy like out of the corner of her eye was just like what's going on but and he would just like walk around town like it's andy you know, yeah. there's no there's no pretension there. That's why I'm like, I'm sure that he would do Murray Musings. Like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of our one of our aims, so Scott and I just got back from Nottingham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of our original aims had mm-hmm. been because Andy was due to play. So Scott and I were like, right, okay. <laughs> Operation Operation Andy is a go go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll get down there, uh-huh. we'll find him, we'll make sure we speak to him and we'll just <laughs> ask him to come on the show. Love it. And of course, he didn't play. But today, Purple. I was at the Cromlex today um, for afternoon tea and I tweeted a photograph saying that I was there and Judy actually replied to me to say, hope you had a good time. So I tweeted her back and I've asked her to come on Money Musings and as yet, I've not had any response. So Judy, if you're listening, <laughs> did you really get on it? Courtney says you should come on. 100%. 100%. I mean, she's, there's just, they're just really, really lovely and just um, yeah. unpretentious and you know, a lot of the other stuff is, is all related to brand building and all the corporate side of, of what mm. is involved in being a, a, a elite professional athlete in Britain and, and things like that. But at the base, I mean, it, it's just Andy and it's yeah. just Judy, you know, like, and, and um, which is, which is what I love. Yeah. yeah. Really kind of hoping that we'll be able to um, see Andy at Battle of the Brits. Yeah, maybe a, if, if we've not there, managed yeah. to get him on before then then mm. hopefully that'll be the that'll be I the love next it. thing for us yeah. but to to speak a bit more about Andy so obviously Scott and I had been very very excited at the prospect of seeing him play <laughs> at Nottingham <laughs> oh, oh, oh. and then sad. we didn't and we were very sad but we still ended up having a great time down Nottingham and got to see some great tennis but um while we were there we read or Scott read an article on Twitter that said that Andy was a concern for Queens. They weren't sure if he was going to play. So we've we have spent the past few days stressing out a little bit about whether yeah. or not he's actually going to play at Queens. But so far so good. He's he seems to be practicing, he's looking well and he's in the draw. He'll be playing Benoit Pair in the first round. So hoping to get your thoughts on yeah. that, Courtney. What do you think? Yeah. What are you thinking of his first round matchup? I, I love it. I, lo- I love the idea of him getting to play Benoit and, and just being able to sh- showcase some craftiness and things like that. I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, what you want for Andy at this point is that he gets to play Wimbledon. Even if it's one match, but he's got to be able to take the court at Wimbledon. And so that's the only thing about about Queens and, and at least with Benoit, I think it'll be a fun match and one way or the other, it's not going to Benoit's not going to put you through a physical grind because Benoit doesn't <laughs> want to do that either. Yeah. Um, so it'll just be like a fun shot, shot making clinic, you know, ideally. Um, but uh, but that's the main the main thing for me is like whatever happens, play wherever you want, buddy. Like do live your life. You've done it well, but make sure that you can st- take the court uh at at you know center court which i'm sure he'll well i don't know but i i have to think he's going to get a center court placement yeah, in his first must. round match regardless of who he plays yeah yeah so um do, do do we think he'll um beat benoit and get through to meet possibly matteo bertini in round two at queens oh, uh, i mean 
Benoit grass. Oh, silence. Oh, tumbleweeds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, gonna, I'll say, say yes. I think he'll, I think he'll yes. beat him. Yeah. I think he'll yes. beat him. I think, I think he'll beat him. I think that I just, I just don't think that Andy's going to take the court unless he thinks he can beat him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, yeah. I, I, I made the joke before we started recording, before you joined us, that like Andy may, Andy, Andy may well have been like, oh, I think I'm going to pull out, I think I'm going to pull out a queen. And then the draw <laughs> comes out and it, you can see he's got Ben Wise, like, well, <laughs> I might, Actually, might as well give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Might it as well try. step on the court and see what happens, because who knows uh, yeah. what, what's going to happen like, on the other side of the net, you know? It could be a controversial one, so. Uh, <laughs> no, no disrespect we'll to Ben Wise. No, 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 no. Just going on the like, recent stuff. Yeah, <laughs> recent well, and his comfort on grass. I mean, he's not, Absolutely. you know, he doesn't love it. And the way that he hits his his ground strokes you know there's just mm-hmm. so much action going on that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. on grass you need things to be very very compact off yeah. the ground uh, with the low bounces and stuff and so it's 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 a tough ask for benoit to to play well on that surface so I, I mean you know andy is like the least um the, the opponent you want least if you don't if you have that type of game because he will just mm-hmm. put the ball in positions where you're just going to hate every single point that you have to play in that match. And yeah. you have to have a lot of mental resiliency in order mm-hmm. to handle that. Yeah. yeah. So best of luck to Benoit Pair. Yeah. And also <laughs> just the, the backing of the crowd as well. I mean, I, I'm not sure what capacity Queen's is going mm-hmm. to be at, but you can guarantee that every single person in that crowd is going to be cheering on Andy Murray yeah. with every fibre in their body, aren't They'll they? They'll be sloshed yeah. and they will have those posh tickets and those posh seats <laughs> yes. and uh-huh. they will yeah. act like fools. Uh, and yeah. hopefully maybe it's, you know, it's all during Euros and, you know, so everybody's feeling a little bit and coming out of the pandemic, feeling a little, you know, sports crazy, hopefully. And hopefully they channel that into like this patriotic, uh, yeah. you know, let's go. And and yeah, that 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 could that could uh, rattle pair as well even though at the end of the day the, the man likes to play in front of a crowd whether they're for him or against him so yeah, we'll yeah, see sure, we'll see sure. yeah uh, but i'd love to see that with berrettini that'd be fun yeah it would be it would be let's yeah. uh guess keep our fingers crossed for that because it, it's crazy to think and this is how quick as we touched on earlier like um sport moves like literally yeah we we are recording this on sunday evening right after like the the men's french open final just took place and andy is playing queen's I think on Tuesday, so literally in two days' time. Um, so <laughs> that is how quick tennis moves. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we 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 couldn't have we couldn't have you on, Cody. We couldn't have you on without um, without asking and discussing. I guess the French Open. Um, of course. What, yeah, absolutely. What what your thoughts were on it? Um, we, we thought we'd prim- primarily like start with the uh, with the women's draw, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, th- so just some of the storylines uh, that 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 happened in the past two weeks. And uh, yeah, just, just your general thoughts on the on the women's tournament generally. Um, yeah, yeah if, you'd, if, you'd, if you'd like to. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I think that it's 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 an interesting one. It it's tough because I think that the way that a, the tournament began, obviously, uh, on the women's side with with Naomi withdrawing and then obviously Ash being injured and having to retire, you know, Bianca losing in the first round to Zidanecik, who ended up, you know, making a run to the semifinals, you know, but there were a lot of it started kind of on a sputter. Even when the the tournament began on that Sunday, there was so much stuff that we were talking about that had nothing to do with the tennis. 
Yes, yep. um, so much. <laughs> a lot of distraction, a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like the French Open has been happening for a month and a half. Yeah. Like, to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, today, the minute Literally. that, that ma- the men's final was finished, I was like, I don't remember my life without the 2021, 20, you know, Roland Garros <laughs> yeah. happening. Yeah. The first four days went on forever, it didn't is. they? Yeah. Well, the night it sessions, I think, changed the tenor of Roland Garros for me. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. But I just, it felt like the days were so long. And I I just, there was always tennis going on in Paris. And I'm not used to that because you're so used to it being a finite 11 a.m. until around, you know, 9 p.m.-ish stop time in Paris. And then now it was like, you know, they were playing till 11 o'clock at night past midnight. You know, like, you're like, what are we, what are we doing? Yeah, it's crazy. You're not the Australian. You're not the Australian Open. <laughs> like, did people really go. like watch Hewitt Baghdadis and think more of that, please? Yeah. Like, let's have <laughs> let's have tennis start like finish at six a.m. Like, we're really yeah. onto something in terms of a good, well packaged product. It's like, no, that's yeah. not how it works. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so it felt like it was very long. So um, because of that, I feel like a lot of the early storylines in the first week, because they were dominated by kind of the off the off court stuff and everything, it took a while for the tournament to kind of gel and to really, you know, because, you know, Ash was such a was one of the the tournament shortlist tournament favorites, you know, and and for her to go out, it kind of made you think, huh, what's going to happen? And you know, and there were a few early upsets as well, Muguruza. So it was all a bit of a, a muddle out of the first week. And then I think in the second week, and what I'm happy about for for Roland Garros is that despite how it finished, it ended on the women's side with a really, really feel good story. My hope is that as we, when we look back and that we we remember Roland Garros, like it could have broken a lot of different ways, like starting at the the quarterfinals or even the semifinals. I mean, at that point, you know, you're probably looking at a situation where maybe the Maria Sakkari win if she had won and I mean yeah. think about how close we were to having two Greek champions mm-hmm. uh, which would have been unbelievable uh, mm-hmm. obviously Stefanos being two sets up on Novak and Maria having match point on Krachikova. Um you know it, it very easily could have been there um, but she her story is probably the one that would have had the most legs that would have felt like we're crowning a new WTA champion who's going to do more things because she has such yeah. potential and you feel like it's just the start of something you know Pavlychenkova would have felt like a lifetime achievement award yeah. You know, yes. it would have been like yeah, a Susan Lucci situation, like she finally got it, yes. you know. Um, but it may not have had legs. It, it, it would have been more of like a retrospective kind of result, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Zidanecek would have been amazing, but her story still needed some time to incubate, I think, to to kind of capture the public's imagination, even though I find her to be an incredible chap, very smart. Her coach was amazing. Uh, but with Krachikova, what you had was a player who was a junior doubles champion at this event um, who, because of her connections with Yana Novotna and because of her connections with uh, a lot of the ga- the game's greats, uh, you know, Martina, you know, the Czechs, and then also, like, she loves Justine Enna, like, whatever, that even though this was a player that we all know that the public doesn't know, yeah. you know, like, even in tennis, people don't necessarily know her story as much like Ben wrote that article on on her and Novotna from Wimbledon 2018 but it wasn't really until even though we've been talking about it a lot it didn't get traction until she made a final and people were like looking for what is the critique of a hook and they're like oh Novotna um and so it ended up being this incredible fairy tale story of this kid who you know not kid 25 years old but this woman who's you know nine months ago never cracked the top 100 in singles, everybody labeled her a doubles 
specialist. She didn't want that to be the case. And she just kept plugging away. And, and um, it's, I was saying this on the NCR podcast, it's an incredible testament to, you know, like we were saying before about Andy, like how I consider him the people's champion. Yeah. Kachikova winning is the people's results. This is every single person in the WTA locker room, regardless of who they are, should wake up tomorrow believing they can do what she did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, she, yeah. she doesn't have the, the obvious natural gifts of, you know, Serena or Iga or Naomi. Uh, she doesn't have, you know, the, the kind of obvious court craft. It, she has court craft, but I don't think it's as obvious as like Ash Barty. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, and Bianca and things, but she is somebody who the rest of the locker room absolutely relates to on every level. And she just won 13 matches at Roland Garros yeah. in two weeks. Yeah. You know, her last loss was to Iga and she had match points on her in Rome. So did she come through qualifying? No. She, so, so when she, when Roland Garros took place last fall, she had yeah. still never broken top 100, but she got in, yeah. I don't think she went through qualifying, but because of kind of the pandemic and everything, she was able to get direct entry because there were enough okay. pullouts to where her ranking just got her in. And then she okay. made the round of 16 in a pretty remarkable run there. And that was what launched her into the top 100. And then ever since then, she's been having great results. I mean, she made the final in Dubai, which is a master's event for us, losing to Muguruza. Yeah. She won her first title. So she was in actually as when the tournament began, because she won Strasbourg the week immediately preceding Roland Garros, she was the highest ranked player not to be seated. She was number 33. Yeah. She was actually ranked ahead of Paula Bedosa, who ended up getting the 33 seed, but because the the rankings are locked the week before she, you know, so she narrowly, she should have been seated, narrowly mm -hmm. missed out on it. So she was on a roll and everything and, and, and stuff. But I don't think that people really, again, because of all the distraction mm -hmm. of everything that was happening, no one really keyed in on her, even though every single thing on paper would have said, this is a dark horse for the title. She just, you know, she, she, she's done had an incredible she's on like she went into rolling girls like on a 10 match winning streak or something like that mm -hmm. uh had won you know a chunk of matches has been beating top 10 players top 20 players stuff like that so and as the draw started to to kind of shift a little bit you started to think well it could be Kachikova coming through you know yeah. it, it could mm -hmm. um but people still weren't willing to completely bank on it um because i think that people still thought that Iga was going to come through yeah. Yep. yeah. So, you know, that upset, even though she was making her way through the draw, you were like, well, but Sviantec is going to be there and Sviantec will stop her. But then Zachary stopped Sviantec. And then that's when everything started to change. And you're like, well, any one of these four final semifinalists could win it. There's no, yeah. you know, yeah. so but I like but I like that pair that Roland Garros got a feel good story to end on. You know, um, there's there's stuff to talk about. And, and there was this whole discussion debate amongst the right about a bunch of writers that you know, I talk to and they're like, you know, Pavlyuchenkova is the better story. You know, we want, and I've said this a gazillion times, writers don't root for players. They root for stories. Mm -hmm. They root, they root for what they can sell. Um, and they were like, oh, you know, Pavlyuchenkova, we can sell. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like you put Novotna in a headline, anybody will buy that because of, you know, how beloved she is. So, uh, and to me, I thought that the Kajikova story was so much easier to write. I could write a 5,000 word essay on Kajikova starting now if I wanted to. It, it, the words would flow because 
again, it's it's a locker room result. It's the reason why we watch sports. It's the reason yeah. why, you know, there are kids in the playground, you know, talking to themselves like, you know, two seconds left, uh, tie ball game, you know, you, one free throw for the win, shoots, he scores, ah, you know, like the seizing of a singular life-changing moment is a beautiful thing. And so that's, I'm glad that the women's event got that. And I'm super happy for Krachikova because she was, unbelievable for two weeks yeah yeah for sure. you mentioned uh justine um and i had put that in my notes uh to talk about um how justine actually uh was at the uh, 1992 uh roland garros uh final watching steffi graf and monica Sellis. yeah with and her mom i had yeah. actually watched um the ceremony um uh today um since the men's um ceremony got cut off from NBC um and just watching Barbara just talk about Justine and she was uh, apparently out in the crowd but uh, they didn't pan to her it was just so wonderful just to see a tennis player finally you know getting that win and just telling her idol like hey you know this is you know what you did for me yeah um, and so it was just a beautiful moment so. it's a beautiful I moment loved and i loved i loved how they i mean i know that people i guess the 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 the, um, the ceremony was polarizing some people thought it went too long why is this happening i have after seeing so many ceremonies that have been cut unfairly short and i i am uh -huh. always for players getting the spotlight like this yeah. woman's just had the day of her life give her three hours on the stage if she's gonna just talk to I me mean, yeah. you know and and yeah. i think that people really got a sense of barbora like watching her mm -hmm. talk through like you said pete of of go of talking through her relationship with Novotna, seeing her so unbelievably overjoyed at the even the mention of justine and enna yes you know like she literally was just like oh my god like my name come came out of her mouth like crazy like you know and we can all relate to that like you know yeah. like of just being like oh my god like you're all of a sudden 24 hours ago you were nobody and now you're somebody who's rubbing shoulders with the greats and and your name is in the record books mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the game's greats and for somebody who really is the first to celebrate the the mentorship and the mm -hmm. assistance that she got from former players um to get her to where she is now, that's also really moving. And and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine and because we were a little bit frustrated by kind of, you know, the the shtick or not shtick, but stick that the result was getting like on Twitter, people being, you know, I saw tweets of like worst player to ever hold a grand slam. Yeah. Like, oh, all, wow. you know, like really I'm hard. Glad I didn't see that. I know. Tennis Twitter like, is brutal. Isn't it? Tennis Twitter, <laughs> yeah. tennis Twitter is brutal. It's gotten more brutal. I think, I think yeah. that there's a, there's a level of cruelty that it's seemingly more so crossing that I'm not really too keen about, but um, yeah. And, but I, I did, so there was a little bit of that and I was a bit frustrated by it and people mm -hmm. and just, you know, people using coded language of like, you know, like kind of her, like, what does this mean? You know, all this sort of stuff. And I saw a tweet from somebody who said like, you know, it, and this is, I, I nodded my head when I saw it of if she looked like Jeannie Bouchard, this is not, this is not the discussion right now. Oh, I saw that. Yep. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yep. And I yeah. agree. And yeah. that's really where, again, as a sport, like you have to actively cut through the kind of bullshit rhetoric sometimes mm -hmm. of, and the coded yeah. language that people use of like, she came out of nowhere and who knows what it means and just kind of, but like phrase in a negative light. 
you know and yeah, it, it all comes yeah. down to marketability because that's what people are looking at is like mm -hmm. is this a marketable result which is such like who gives a shit like this mm -hmm. woman is i mean she like she won 13 matches what more does she have to do to yeah. earn the respect of the pundits and the fans and you know your fave couldn't do it she did yeah. it yeah. what are you mad yeah. about like yeah, like mm -hmm. come on like, this is a bit baloney um, so, so yeah, so in all ways, I loved it as a result because she earned it. She proved herself. She played impeccable tennis for seven matches in the singles. Um, she held her nerve. She had every right to choke. She never did. Um, she did again, everything that we knock other players for not being able to do. She yeah. did it. Yeah. Throw her a freaking ticker tape parade as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. I, I've, I've said, um, on a couple of our previous podcasts that actually my WTA knowledge is shamefully poor in comparison to ATP. Sure. Um, and I, I found particularly with this French Open that it's really opened my eyes much more to the WTA because I've paid more attention to the women's matches and I've seen players that previously I wouldn't, I wouldn't have sat down and watched just because I've, like oh, I don't know who that is. Yeah, um, sure. So you know, I'll 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 switch over and oh look, Djokovic is playing on this channel, so I'm just going to watch that. But I found myself this time doing the opposite, and I think the women's the women's matches have been so much more interesting. Um, and and we actually did we did a sort of fantasy draw, um, <laughs> prior to to Roland Garros just because Andy wasn't in it, so we needed to give ourselves <laughs> someone. <laughs> How to do we make on. this tournament relevant? Like right yeah, now. Yeah, literally, literally, yeah, 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 yeah. So so we 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 picked out we picked out two ATP players and two WTA players each, and one of my picks was Pavs. Amazing. So I was able to see her journey go all the way through to the final, and I I actually said to to scott and peter at the time i was like i don't i don't know who that is but now i'm like wow no, i actually like, you know i'm, I'm so proud in. of her and it was amazing it was just so great to see <laughs> and i think um to to now move on to the 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 men's um draw mm. I, I feel like the women's has kind of overshadowed the men's a little bit <laughs> and, and to be honest i love that um, but but you know we'll, we need we need to talk about it as well um but I, I do just think that we've had a much more open and interesting competition on the women's side because although we didn't have, I, I don't think we had quite the final for the men that everyone was expecting, it was still sort of expected. Yeah, yeah. you're talking about you like know, so one versus four. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like there's you a... know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's interesting because I always say as much as people think that like, just because of my stridency and because in order to make an argument, I, I take certain stands, but they think that like I'm anti ATP and mm -hmm. that's couldn't be further from the truth. Like what I, my ideal of this sport are these joint events where a lot of times in historic, like the men's, if you think about like um, television or even movies, like the men's um, uh, tournaments are typically like protagonist focused uh, 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 shows, you know, where there's three, three or four characters. Those are the only four characters. They dominate the show and that's it. Yeah. The women's mm -hmm. draw is an ensemble. Yeah. It, it's, if you ever watch like Japanese anime, for example, they have these shows where there's like 
25 main characters almost you know like each mm -hmm. one gets a backstory each one and you know kind of shines in different moments and stuff like that but there isn't really like there is one main character kind of but they're not really whereas like you know the men's draws like it's it's like it's like mad men or or breaking bad <laughs> right or the sopranos yeah, like yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. a cure group of of protagonists and they are the ones that drive the storyline so mm. therefore to me the best thing is that when they're together you get a situation where when one isn't scratching your itch the other one can and yeah. what has what used to happen a lot more when it was that was it was uh, you know the big four was that because the big four would hold their seat and effectively be in the semifinals all the time Yep. Um, and everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. The only question mark was whether Andy was going to get there. Bless. Yeah. But um, but the women would basically dominate the first half of a slam. So week one belonged to the women's event because it had the upsets. It had, you know, the dramatic three setters um, and a lot of times just like more of the storylines until mm -hmm. the second week. And then the second week would then be dominated by the men because then you had your stars going into the semifinals and the finals. And yes, because of the early round upsets, a lot of times you did end up with kind of like a, from the quarterfinals on a bit of a fizzle, um, marquee name wise, you know, um, on the women's side, but then the guys could, could fill that gap. Whereas I think week one of slams for the guys is always really boring because I just don't think that any of those results is consequential. I think Roland Garros is a very, very good example of it always. And this year, obviously it was different because Rafa didn't win. But in the yeah. past, it was like, why are we even talking about this draw? Like, yeah. why do I care who wins this third round match? Like Rafa's winning the tournament. So why do I care? Unless I'm a fan of one of those players, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. whereas like with the women's draw, you really would go into events and you don't know who's going to win. So every match that gets played feels huge. Like you're looking at the draw and you're like, well, I mean, if this player wins, then the draw, I think, breaks one way. But if the other player wins, then I think the draw breaks the other way. And so there, it's different. And so when they're both viewed as though they're supposed to be the same, like that frustrates me like the women like oh yes the women don't have a dominant four absolutely that's not a bad thing yes yeah. Yeah. okay like you know yeah. like it's yeah. an ensemble there's a dominant eight or so yeah. you know of, of players that and and this tournament obviously it didn't even come down to those eight but i don't understand why one is considered the the measure and the other one is not like one is like you know so that's why I think that like, you know, like Roland Garros, all like if you sit, if I sit down and I have to write like, what are, what were the, the your takeaways from the women's event? I can easily come up with like 21 liners of like, Goff played great, you know, she's gaining experience, you know, tough luck for Ash Barty. She really would have played well. Sviantec, amazing to make it back to the round of 16 or, or you know, under the, the circumstances or quarterfinals or whatever. Zachary, so, you know, I could boom, boom, boom. If I had to sit down and write the same thing for the men's draw, I'm like, wow, that semifinal was dope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, you know, and and then and then in the and then another point of like Novak is inevitable and then another one of like mm -hmm. good for you Stefanos, you didn't crap the bed, you know, in yeah. in your first major final. You played a great major final just like Medvedev did in New York and you'll earn a ton of respect for doing that. That's it. End of sentence. That's all I have because there's did we learn anything else? In the men's draw before that, I'm not entirely sure. And I wasn't really paying attention because 
it just felt like it was going to come down to to the winner of that semifinal anyway, and those two players were going to make that semifinal. So yeah. what was the point of everything that came before? That's just yeah. noise, you it's, know. It's, so it's quite fu- it's it's funny actually because so we we decided to do a a competition um on um our Twitter page Last Man Standing, uh, and give away a signed Andy Murray T shirt. Oh, the I saw winner. this. Yeah, yeah. And and we we in, in an ideal world we would have done both draws, but we only had one prize. So yeah. we sort of tossed a coin and we decided to do the men's draw, which in hindsight I really do regret now yeah, because the yeah. women's draw was just it was so exciting and so many upsets and so many things happened. And actually, if we'd done the women's draw, we one hundred percent wouldn't have had a winner. No, I don't think so. From it because <laughs> no, no one, so. no. yeah, absolutely no one would have predicted. No. No. Um, everyone would have been out by you know the yeah. quarterfinals. Mm. Um, but with the with the main straw, we could we could start to see people being a bit strategic. Yes, very much um, so. And, and, and we ended up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We ended up. We ended up with six people. Uh, no four. We ended up with four in the final because two had to be eliminated because they'd already picked Djokovic, um, in a previous round. We ended up with four, so we were like, oh gosh, now we're need going to get them to to predict the score and predict the amount of time <laughs> the tiebreaker the, the tiebreakers yeah. Yeah, um, and so we're, we're kind of hoping we'll be able to do something similar again for Wimbledon, but this time we are 100% doing the women's draw. I'm not going to make I mean, the same mistake again. If you want something massively unpredictable, go women's yeah. draw at Wimbledon. Because yeah. it's, I mean, I have no idea how, how Wimbledon's going to turn out for the, for the women. I mean, you know, like it, there's just so many of the top players that we have have zero confidence on grass. Yeah. So... I mean, I have no idea, like, you know, how they're going to do and do they even not get injured because obviously the shortened grass season and, mm-hmm. you know, all the movements that are involved there. But but yeah, you know, I mean, I, that's what I think. You know, I do think that like the tours are as a product, it's stronger together. And I just think that like, you know, again, like if you if you look at the order of play and you see the guys matches and you're like nothing really scratching my itch there you can always look at the girls and they're always going to be something where you're like well that's interesting but it mm-hmm. uh, the problem is is that not the problem but the uphill climb for the women right now and i say this as somebody who this is obviously my job to do this is, is to cover them is just um we do have to um do more heavy lifting educating people on a broader cast so where, like you said, like, yeah. you know, you'll be able yeah. to tune in and you'll, you know, Roger's playing, uh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Rafa, Novak, uh, Andy, uh, Berrettini, uh, Steph, you know, uh, you know, you have Medvedev, you have a group where it's pretty short lists and you can kind mm-hmm. of get yeah. people up to speed really quickly for the women. It's even I, this is a part of my job a lot as well outside of like what I do for the WTA is, is yes, a lot of it's the writing side um, and things, but a lot of it is also behind the scenes stuff of. Um, you know, if writers or journalists have questions, um, I can kind of be a resource to them to kind of, yeah. you know, so I do field a lot of questions from the press of like, they're going into a match and be like, so what's the Doncic story? Like, okay, thank you for asking. Super excited. So I'm going to tell you, this is her story, you know? So, and so I have to do that with journalists. I, you know, I can only imagine that it's even more of like heavy lifting to do with fans, right? You know, cause that's not easy. Yes. So, um, so that's the thing is like, once you invest the energy and the time to kind of find your group of, you know, this is my ensemble, my WT ensemble cast, um, 
you'll be heavily rewarded. At that point, yeah. the the beauty of the quote unquote chaos of the women's tour like opens up to you. And you're just like, yeah. oh, this is great because any week anything can happen. It's nuts. It, it's just, you know, it's Hunger Games all the time. Um, yes. But if you don't have that cast, then I understand mm -hmm. if you don't have that knowledge, then I understand when people look and be like, there's no consistency and nobody can win and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, OK, like, mm -hmm. yes, but that's because they're all really good and they all have different. You have to kind of follow their stories into that that singular day yeah. and you'll have a sense. But um, but yeah, that's why it, it's just better when both of them are playing alongside each other on alongside each other and like not being compared you know like oh the yeah. men's final was five sets and it was four hours and it was unbelievable and the women's had critique of a win it's like i don't understand the tone like what's with your tone yeah. that makes no sense yeah. like yeah it's yeah. still you know I, massive i result. think the problem is from what i see as an american i know um apparently a lot of uh, british people do get really good coverage on uh, the women's side as well. Mm -hmm. But I saw a lot of men's matches um, on my Sling TV, and I admit um, I had to uh, stream a lot of women's matches on my laptop. Yeah. And so I got a whole lot more coverage uh, for this tournament um, than I did for even the Australian Open. Is that through I Tennis didn't... Channel or through NBC or Peacock or what do you mean? Um, like... Well, through um, oh, Secret Streams. Oh, got you, got you, got yeah. you, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to admit it. We'll let it up. But yes, of course, I had <laughs> no, to but... watch Peacock as well. Yeah. And I had to watch uh, NBC. Um, but yeah, I mean, doing that and being on my uh, phone as well, watching a third match, yeah. it was it was good. Yeah. Um, no, it... And like I had uh, talked about um, with you um, when you were on Twitch the other day, I was like, okay, you know, give a case for Rabakina. Like, give a case for, like, okay, I really like Pavs. And when um, Claire had um, pulled Pavs for um, the pick, I was like, didn't flinch of, like, okay, you know, she may not win it. I was like, okay, she's sure. a dangerous floater. Yep. Like, mm -hmm. she could mm -hmm. win it, so... 100%. No, that... And, and yeah. I, was getting, I was getting very excited. <laughs> she uh -huh. was. Yeah, Claire was. Yeah. Claire was in the, the shot, like... That, yeah, like, that picks paths to win from the start of the uh, tournament. Like, that is... Yeah. That's legend-making stuff right there. Yeah. That's yeah. where yeah. people were yeah. like, oh, damn, like, legit, legit, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. But, but, yeah, Pete, I mean, that's... You know, that was the funny thing, like, on Twitch was, like, Pete was literally asking me these questions as I'm, like, shooting mm -hmm. up, like, uh, dudes on Fortnite. But um, but that's really, that's what I do. I mean, it, it's literally, like, you know, and it's hard right now. I was talking to Simon Briggs about this at The Telegraph. Um, but, you know, not being able to be on site. Um, and basically, like, I when I first got my job with the WTA, I said, you know, I'm not sitting with the comms team. So the comms team is always in their own office, a little bit separated from the um, the journalists. I'm like, I'm sitting with the journalists. I will eat with the journalists. Don't give me, um, you know, a, I don't want to eat in player dining. Like, give me media access dining. Just give me all the, the access that they have. Um, a lot of it, and the reason why is because I just want to sit there so that if they have a question like, hey, what's Rabakina's deal? Hey, what's Pav's? Pavlychenkova's deal like basically what I did with Pete is precisely what I would normally do in a press conference mm -hmm. of like okay so here's the Pav story you know she's junior number one so dominant won three majors da, 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 so much potential and just whether she's choking it away or she's underachieving who knows and now she's doing it you know mm -hmm. everybody loves her um, and putting these women into context you know mm -hmm. of their lives you know yeah. um, because I, I do think that there is that of, of just that um, 
I think for me, it's never hard to write about the women because every single one of them has a story. And not to say that the guys don't. Every single every single professional athlete has like an amazingly riveting story. But at the end of the day, being a male professional athlete is a thing. Yeah. Globally. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's not for the women. So for when you take these women, especially on a tour that is very heavily Eastern European or, you know, Asian, all these sorts of things, there are these cultural things of like, you are probably going to have to jump over way more barriers, whether financially or culturally, whatever it is, to get to where you are compared to like, if you're just a very talented tennis player from whatever country, chances are a federation has found you. They have given you a crap ton of money. Uh, You know, you have Mm -hmm. a template for what it means to be a pro athlete to train. Mm -hmm. That's not the case for the girls, you know? And so they're going to have interesting stories you're gonna have a Krachikova who at 18 years old walks up to Diana Novotna and is like can you coach me please and you mm-hmm. know and and that being the start of something really really magical you know and mm-hmm. um so that's why it's it's a little bit it, it's always different in terms of being like the educating of 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 people with respect to the women there's always yes. a story that's not even related to their actual tennis like none of that even had anything to do i think with rabakina pete i think i said like you know she's a right-handed kvitova like mm-hmm. i just really yeah. love her smooth strokes and stuff but normally when i tell people about players i almost never talk about their actual tennis it's just like their life story <laughs> Yeah. You know, like yeah. his, and I love hearing that narrative to root for that person. That's um, how I attach to people. The oh, tennis yeah. is secondary. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, it's like it's like who are you as a person, and, and and do I now live or die with your results? With you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. Andy. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've been one of the first to cover Naomi Osaka's rise in tennis. Um, so I'd be remiss in having this conversation with you. Uh, can you tell us? how Naomi was early on with the media and how shy she was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that was really the beginning of kind of the cult of, of Naomi Osaka. I mean, she, you know, I was lucky enough to be in her first ever WTA press conference. It was wild. It just was like nothing I had ever seen before in terms of this young girl, 16 years old, being incredibly awkward, but not in a crippling way because she was in, she was really witty and she was cracking jokes and making mm-hmm. us laugh. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. kind of this weird combination, right? Because like on one hand, like I've definitely, there are definitely players who I know are really shy genuinely and, and very awkward with the media. And you can tell they just want to shrivel up and just, if they didn't have to talk to you, they don't want to. Um, but with Naomi, you, you kind of didn't really get that sense. You got the sense that she is shy and she's, she's uncomfortable in the situation but that she kind of also was enjoying it or she was trying to enjoy it and so it was mm-hmm. it was again like i told you before I, I i'm drawn to 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 the people who are confusing that that people find weird or misunderstood so that was what drew me to, to naomi uh, initially of just kind of like what's your deal because i'm like fascinated there's a charisma you're like there's a charisma there that I, i'm trying to get to the bottom of um so she absolutely charmed the, the the journalists that were in that room that day. And then over time, you know, I mean, now obviously she's Naomi Osaka, you know, global brand name. I had cousins who were over yesterday and the first question they asked me was like, what's the deal with this Osaka girl? Like, what's yeah. going on? And I'm like, oh my God. Like, and they're like, we uh-huh. know nothing about tennis, but they knew yeah. everything that had happened at, at Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
so she's like a global icon now and a global name. But back then, I mean, it was a lot of, you know, interview room three, me and Ben and a couple of Japanese journalists just mm. kind of shooting the shit with Naomi and, and getting to know her. And it's one of the very frustrating things about the Zoom situation these days with the pandemic is that press conferences really are quite conversational. It's it's not this adversarial, maybe for the bigger players, it's a little bit more of kind of a, a stilted because there's so many questions, you can't get them mm -hmm. all asked, yeah. so you have to actually get called on. But typically, it's not. It's just kind of like, all right, guys, go. Just yeah. ask your questions. You can ask follow-ups. You can crack jokes with the players. They can crack jokes with you, you know. Uh, and that vibe has just not existed since the pandemic began. Uh, so the Zoom has just killed a lot of our spirits uh, with respect yeah, to that. But, but she, it was a lot of times just small room and just like, you know, Hey, what's what's on your iPad iPod these days? What are you listening to? Um, mm -hmm. you know, what are you up to? What are you into? You know, throughout throughout the time. Sometimes they were truly therapy sessions and not therapy sessions where we were trying to mess with her. That's definitely not true. I mean, I remember one distinct press conference after she lost to Madison Keys at the US Open. Big match. She kept she had been losing to Madison a lot and she had a lead on Madison, maybe five two in the third or five two in the second with a setup, and she just just bottled it just got nervous the ash crowd got into her head and and she lost it and that press conference was a pep talk she was mm -hmm. just not she was so down on herself and it was me and it was ben and 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 maybe tamini as well i can't remember who else was in the room but we were just like you realize this is progress right like like this isn't why are you down like it sucks but it's okay you know and you know trying to kind of talk her through it of being like yeah. it's it's not a, it, the world did not collapse today it's a tennis match like you know and then yeah. i remember asking her you know do you think that is it can you just think that this is an ins instance where she's just more experienced than you and that's okay and that over time you will gain the experience and then you know these results will flip and and naomi was just in her emo head and she was just like well but i th i just think that if you're good enough experience doesn't matter which was always one of those weirdly poignant, like, I was like, that's a hell yeah. of a line. Like, you know, and, and then when, like, years later, when she won the US Open, I remember thinking that. It was like, everybody thought that Serena had all the experience and whatever. And all I could hear was Naomi being like, well, if you're good enough, it doesn't matter, does it? And I'm like, oh, yeah. here you go. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so she, uh, in my experience, especially, you know, amongst the top 20 players, like, she, she had the best or has i still continue to believe that it, it still exists but has the best relationship with the media um journalists love her um mm -hmm. and, and japanese press are very very respectful and kind to her um you know and and you know and it's been a mutually beneficial relationship you know yeah. the, the press has has been able to tell her story and help build up her her brand and who she is and tell the world who who this girl is um and and she in, in turn has helped the press sell stories and you know and all that sort of stuff so i hope that i hope that she'll 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 be fine i think that she'll be fine you know i think yeah. that she just needs a little bit of time and space i've been there before myself and you know um so it's kind of one of those like no hard feelings it's fine you mm -hmm. know sort of situations mm -hmm. but she's been one of the most i mean absolutely the most unique player in 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 the interview room of my entire yeah. career. And I think that most journalists and even non-tennis journalists, like just any journalist that's ever been in a Naomi Osaka press conference um, has been like, that was like nothing I've ever experienced. I'm like, yep. 
every time you just never know where it's going to go and it's great it's yeah. it's a good time that's that's uh, that's so interesting like that you 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 briefly like kind of like touched on you know what 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 happened to the french with with naomi and and the relationship with the media and you're kind of you know uh casual like understanding of it like yeah that happens you know that's that's totally fine and which is totally at odds with how the story like blew up out of yeah portion, it was right? out of control and, like, and, uh, like i had friends like asking me who have no interest in tennis or like very minimal interest in tennis watch very minimal like like but every single one of them were like people were messaging me asking about what was going on there and I, like I, I don't i honestly like i'm not sure i've ever had that in terms of like on Andy Murray related stuff like when I hear the story about Andy Murray I get messages from people like what's he doing what's going on there but like with this it was like it was it was almost like nothing I've ever seen before like you know celebrities were diving in on it and that was obviously pushing the story even further uh, but it's so fascinating that you that you're so kind of like yeah that's totally reasonable that she wants to take I mean, and that's it what, like, I, I've had time you know I mean yeah. it, it's hard not to say I mean I wouldn't say that like when it first happened when I first read the note that, you know, her first statement that I, it was hard not to take it personally. It was okay. hard not to sit there and all of a sudden audit every press conference that, and I've, I'm pretty confident in saying that no one's been in as many Naomi press conferences as I have, um, just because of the nature of my job and, and, you know, things like that. So I was just thinking, I'm like, have they been bad? Have I contributed? You know, I was thinking from a very earnest perspective, like, have I done something? You know, is there a tone in my questions that that went wrong, you know, or something like that? And going, I've spent a lot of time going back and reading all of her press conference transcripts over the last year to just be like, again, did I miss something, you know? And um, and so it was hard not to take, to, to not feel defensive. You know, and I know that a lot of my colleagues vocalized their defensiveness um, yeah. <laughs> in a way that 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 I obviously was not going to do, even if I felt that way. But but over time, I I when it first all started to happen, I had made the decision very, very quickly in my head. I'm not talking about this until this event is over. She doesn't want to be in the spotlight. I know Naomi and I, I, I knowing her, she didn't want that. All of that blowing up and things was never her intention. I just really don't believe that it was. And so I felt for her in that moment because I, I really felt like she thought she was doing something and maybe didn't articulate it as cleanly or as accurately as she may have wanted the first time around. But I think that her second statement felt like a lot more that it was coming from, from it articulated much more clearly, I think, where she was and what her head, where her headspace was, and, and her the reasoning behind her decision. I think that if that second that second statement had come out that the first time, that that might have mm -hmm. mitigated quite a bit, especially with respect to the media defensiveness yeah. and things. But it became, but you know, but at the same time, like people were kind of, it was weird because I saw a lot of, you know, and again, I tried to basically, I was off Twitter. I immediately logged off Twitter for that first week of Roland Garros. Uh, because I just, it wasn't healthy for me to sit on Twitter and basically see, you know, everybody rip my industry and tell me that I'm bad at my job and my colleagues are useless and you guys shouldn't even be there and da 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 when we're, you know, I'm not in this position, but, you know, there are a lot of journalists who are freelancers. That's the nature of tennis journalism who are struggling to make ends meet in a pandemic and are waking up at two o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, you know, to cover press conferences and do their jobs and they're doing it the best that they can. 
and then having this all heaped on you, you know, um, as yeah. the second slam is about to begin, it's incredibly demoralizing. Everyone's very, very tired already, you know, because we've been doing this remotely for over a year. So it was kind of this irony. And, and then, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being. It's hard not to then have this moment of flashing anger of, you know, how come how come players mental health matters but journalists mental health don't matter how come yeah. it's okay to abuse journalists but it's not okay to abuse a player it doesn't work that way like i'm very i you know and so it was hard I, trust me my mind has gone through all of it of being very angry being very sympathetic i mean i cried a lot when it was all happening because at the same time she's not my friend like i don't want to get it twisted but i felt for the kid mm -hmm. i i just i really really do and i just I'm somebody who's dealt with mental health issues before. And um, I know that when you're in that space, you make bad decisions. Not saying that like, but like you, you lash out in ways that maybe aren't what you intend because you're just trying to protect yourself, you know? So I was, I was trying to be as empathetic and sympathetic as possible to her and her situation while also being empathetic and to my colleagues who yeah. were getting it nonstop. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, and then you get like people screenshotting, you know, <laughs> transcripts and making fun of people and, you know, uh, you know, ripping on somebody's headline when they didn't write the headline and inviting a, an absolute pile on. Yeah. You know, from mm -hmm. from fans calling this person ugly like it just it. This is the stuff that I just don't like about any of it, you know, and like, again, I kept thinking about it being like, you know, this is none of this is what Naomi would have wanted. Like the yeah. points were made. She has a point with respect to what can be done to ease the burden on players, especially when they're dealing with, with, with mental health concerns. And I think the tours and the federations are absolutely open to having that discussion and making changes. Um, there's also discussion to be made on the flip side, though, at the same time of like, but if there's no access, there's no journalism. Like yeah. people don't get flown out, people don't, you know, and then you're just going to rely on wire copy as being the extent of, 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 of reporting. And that's not good for the sport either. So there were points on both sides, but it was just a lot of yelling into the ether and just anger. And I understood where that anger was coming from, but it wasn't helpful and it wasn't going anywhere to fix any problem. It was just people using it as an opportunity. The way I saw it was it was a lot of bad faith actors using that moment to air their grievances that existed even before any of this happened. It was an excuse. So like if you were a journalist and you thought that Naomi Osaka was immature already before all this happened, immature and a, an attention hog, it's all this stuff that I always would roll my eyes whenever I'd hear it in the press room. I'm like, she's not that, I assure you. Um, then this was your moment to jump on and be like, see, I've been right about it the whole time. Like, you know, and if you're somebody who already is anti-media, then this is a moment to be like, see, Naomi, queen, yeah. like she said it like 100%, <laughs> like I'm going to say it now too, you know, and yeah. it just, it was not, it wasn't good, you know. Um, see, it's what, what you said there, um, Courtney, about um, obviously people have to take into account the mental health of the players, but also what about the mental health of the journalists who are then getting, in turn, getting abuse as a result of this? And it, it just, it made me think it's about a conversation Scott and I were having where 
it's it's and I've said it for so long. See the the be kind hashtag. I I can't stand it because yep. people just use it to their own agenda. So a person who is saying yeah Naomi's one hundred percent done the right thing. Media are scum, and they 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 quote tweet someone like like yourself or like Ben and be like you're part of the problem you're a scumbag you're this you're that but on another tweet they've been like oh my god can't believe the media have given court um have given Naomi such hard time hashtag be kind yeah. it's <laughs> mind blowing yeah you know it's so that's yeah, the thing I totally get that's what why you're I think that it, it's like again like points were made and there's no like everyone is kind of right and everyone's kind of wrong and yeah. if we actually all sit down at a table like adults and have the discussion honestly with the goal of improving things mm. for everyone, I think a lot of good can come of it. But if instead it's going to, it's going to be used for people to express their agendas, their personal agendas, then this is all, I don't need to be part of this. Right, like, yeah. cause it, like I'm at my core, I'm very pragmatic. Like I'm a person, like if somebody complains, I'm never mad that they complain, but I'm always like, what's your solution? Let's fix it. Yes. If it's so bad, let's yeah. fix it. Like, I, so you know, I, but I don't want to I don't want to sit here and bitch just a bitch. Like, you know, like, let's try and solve the problem. So that was that was a little bit of that. And I get it. And people need to just blow off steam. But but yeah, I, it, I've had this session with a few people within within the sport of just kind of like, you know, not just I mean, journalists are an easy target and uh, I'm never going to get anybody to feel sorry for a tennis journalist. I know that that's fine. You know, um, I wish people understood the economic realities of what this job is for a lot of people yeah. and, and maybe, and what the amount of work that goes in versus what the return is. People would be shocked. People do it cause they love it. Like everybody's like, you yeah. hate the sport. Trust me. If anybody hated the sport, they would be making money somewhere else because this sport doesn't pay on the journalist side that's just a fact you know um but also i mean even extending your analogy of like kind of like the hashtag be kind or whatever it's like like all the stuff of like throwing officials under the bus of of umpire you know ah like what a waste like i mean like those people are on twitter like yeah, yeah. umpires know what's being said about them uh -huh. like why do you think, like, again, these people who use their platforms and sit there and, and defend players, and I'm not saying you shouldn't defend the players, definitely defend the players, protect the players against abuse, but then why are you heaping it on everybody else? Why are you giving a green light to literally the defenseless? Like, officials can't fight back. They literally can't say anything. <laughs> So you mm -hmm. just get to call them names and you get to go on TV and ESPN or Sky, whatever, uh, you know, and say they're useless and they should be replaced by computers and everything, every decision they make is wrong and they're uneducated and they didn't go through hundreds of hours of training to learn how to read a clay mark, like, you know, like all of this sort of stuff. And so you get to say that and they don't get to say anything. And you're telling me the, le yeah. the, the, the playing field's level? Come on. Like yeah. there's some bad faith stuff happening on, you know, like, and that's where I start to, my temper starts to like get higher and higher. Cause it's like, it's fine if like we could all just be empathetic and just across the board. I know I'm guilty of it too. Like sometimes I'll make a snarky cause again, joke is king and I want to make the joke. <laughs> and sometimes I can't stop myself and I make it. And then I realize afterwards, I was like, that was so shitty. Don't do that. And so I'm trying, yeah. trying to be better, even though I'll like mess up about it. But, um, yeah, there's a little bit too much Jekyll and Hyde going on 
in yeah. in in the community at the moment where I'm just like I really I I hope things dial back down and we get to the point where we can have productive discussions and not just people shouting at each other. Yeah. 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 Let's r- respect opinions yeah. even if it's not what you agree with. Fingers crossed. <laughs> you know what's you know yeah. what's interesting? I just speaking of opinions, I just um I did an interview with Kanta this morning. Um, after mm. Nottingham and I'll publish it on the WTA website and it was great and I love Joe. Um, she's so smart and wonderful and I was asking a question about um, it wasn't about social media abuse uh, but it was something kind of about um, dealing with the media. I don't know what the question was I asked. It was very early in the morning. It was like five in the morning so I, my brain was a fog but she made this point of kind of like opinions have always existed and everyone can have an opinion. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. It's just that now with social media, how those opinions get expressed and how they en- and how they end up at your doorstep effectively is different. And therefore things have to change. But she's like, but it's okay if people have opinions. Like if people, mm-hmm. you know, that that's fine. But the w- I'm not even giving, I'm not giving her credit in terms of how I've paraphrased what she said. So I'll wait until, um, you know, I, I transcribe and publish the interview. But it was a very mature like articulation of precisely that it's like you can have your opinion i don't understand why it needs to be expressed all the time like i don't understand why you have to put it on twitter you know and that's coming from me somebody who's always done that but even for me like within within the last like couple of years honestly within the last couple of years i've definitely found myself being like drafting a tweet and be like you don't need to put that out there who gives a shit like you know like just delete it move on with your life that's what a group chat's for you know, yeah. you can put all of your toxic nonsense over there, but you don't need to put it out in the world and you don't need to risk that person that you're making fun of seeing it. Yeah. Like there mm-hmm. is no power in like, I'm just saying what's right. Or, you know, like, it's like, no, you're not a revolutionary. You're just being an asshole, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Joe has been smart and wonderful. I've loved uh, watching her uh, career and I'm so glad that she uh, just won um uh, the nottingham title mm-hmm. and you've been smart and wonderful too absolutely so thank you so much for coming on <laughs> it's, it's been, been a pleasure. pleasure this was super fun i'm sorry if you. i talked way too much it was oh, no, 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 it's been absolutely fine we like we, when we had when we had your friend ben on um like he talked for it longer than this like way longer so you're fine don't worry <laughs> <laughs> i believe it i believe it the number uh, of, oh gosh yeah the number of ncr <laughs> outtakes of me just being like ben stop (laughs) oh my god but then i do the same thing like he'll do like he'll talk for five minutes straight and i'll talk for seven just for the hell of it so Uh (laughs) of course yeah it's good to see that y'all are on like 301 h episodes we're Um, working on it we're redefining uh, the numbering system thanks for listening to um another great episode of murray musings and with our great guest courtney nguyen um i hope uh everyone um uh enjoys this episode mm-hmm. and uh if y'all have anything else to offer uh before i let y'all go it's been uh great yeah no this thank has you been very super much, fun Courtney, again thank you for coming it's, in Courtney. door yeah, door is always so open interesting to speak to you <laughs> anytime anytime if pete can track me down uh, always, yeah. always happy to be a guest. You got, y'all are great, and I appreciate the, I appreciate the enthusiasm. I think that that's the biggest thing. It's, it's infectious, so it's good stuff. We'll keep it going. Thank we'll keep you it so going. much, Courtney. And we'll let you know how we get on with Andy and Judy. Absolutely, we will. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> if you can put a good, put it, yeah, I was gonna say, I was, I'll do my yeah. best to put in a good word for sure, for sure. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs>
Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, no thanks for listening, y'all. Bye. Bye, guys.